where that plastic come from and where does it end? So plastic is a problem. No, the problem is how we are managing plastic and where we are going to dispose that plastic and how we are going to recover that material again to put it in our process. And that's what we try to teach or provoke in our students to see what solutions they can approach depending on their community. Yes, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to a brand new Social Concos. I'm back after a week, a week that I was completely down with the flu. I was bedridden for a week. So yeah, I gotta say, welcome back. And I was worried last week. I yes. could reach you that day. And I'm like, whoa, what, what, what's going to so happen? So my apologies <laughs> to you. My apologies for everybody in the Social Convos family. But that day was the first day, the first full day that I was bedridden. There's a no, really, but... really weird flu going around here. It, it, it's, it's very insane. But luckily, I pulled through after a week of being like completely attached to my bed. No, I, I'm really happy you're back to yeah. your old self. Like I, I've been feeling the past week kind of, you know, nausea, dizziness. My, my body was overheating a bit, but nothing that, you know, made me impossible to, to not move in care. But it was, it was weird because my wife had it the week prior and there are people who experienced this in December and were bedridden for a week. And I posted yesterday that I finally, after a week, I'm back. And people were like, yeah, I've, I've had this flu for three weeks. And I was like, whoa. So it's, yeah, it's very weird. It's, it's close to see a lot of similarities to dengue or being mentioned, but I didn't have the fever that comes along with, with dengue usually. And for me, it's at day five was the worst day. I'm somebody who was very positive and for the first time in my life, I was just staring at the ceiling. I was like, oh, this is what people go through when they say like, I don't feel doing any, like anything in, in life. And it was such a weird feeling because I'm usually an upbeat, positive person that yeah. always can find something to do in life. So for me, it's really weird not being able to, to do, this, do, this, do this show. So without further ado, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to yeah, get back into it. We have a fun topic today and you know having this sickness go around it's all about you know learning about it usually the information pops up later and to bring this into the context of what we're going to talk about today today we're going to talk about education and sustainability combination that i think it's very much underrated especially you know you have the schooling system but the education the learning and unlearning process and especially combined with sustainability and we have joined with us today. I'm going to bring over up now and Daniela Hernandez from Earth and Life University. We're going to talk. I have a question about that university, but before we do that, Daniela is also a YLI alumni from 2018. So I posted the booking schedule in one of the networking groups and she just uh, the slot with us and that was really cool. So 
I, I was expecting, you know, usually it's, it's the cohort you're, you're in that usually responds, but to see someone from like five years ago signing up, it just sh goes to show once you're in a network, it's kind of, you know, it perpetuates through time. So even if it's five, 10 years, if you see that association with someone who had been through a similar program or something, there is already a connection to a certain degree. So without further ado, Daniela, welcome to Social Convos. It's a pleasure to have you. It's my pleasure also to be with you. And I was very interesting when, when you posted that on the wildlife portal. Like you said, I think it's a great network. We share, like, even though we do not each other, I think we share similar values related to what does it mean to be an entrepreneur. And I thought, like, what? what? I don't usually have English interviews, so it was also, like, curiosity for me to do this experiment. So I'm sorry if my English at some point it's oh, not very no, clear. It's interesting because it's not the first experiment because the actual program, Wildlife. So so tell us a little bit about, about Daniela and also how you decided to end up doing Wildlife back in, in 2018. Yeah, well, when I was in 2018, I was so much younger with some ideas and actually I had another project, project different from the one I'm currently leading. I was a beekeeper and my project was related with producing raw honey with stingless native bees from the Maya region. That is the zone in Mexico where I live in. We worked with Mayan beekeepers to revalue Mayan culture through the production of one of the best honey in the world. That is from Peninsula de Yucatan. And that's how I got involved in the wildlife program. I, I feel like I didn't take advantage from all the experience in that moment. I was very young and also I, I, I was with a lot of commitments in my growing, in my entrepreneurship journey. So it was a challenge for me to have this balance, to be out of my country in a project that is super physical for me, that it was being with the bees. But at the end, I think it, I, I, I'm still working with wild liars from my cohort and we're still creating things. And uh, for me, that's the most valuable thing about wildlife. Are you still active in the field of bees and honey? I still have my bees, but I'm not dedicated as I, what I, as I were before. I'm, we still have around 60 hives from Apis mellifera and around 30 hives of meliponas. But I'm not in the, I'm not doing like the thing that I did before that, I, that it was B2B commercialization, selling to hotels, boutiques in the region, because now like all, most of my time, it's growing Earthland Life University. All right. So one last thing about the bees. What's so special about the honey from the Yucatan region that you got to say it's like the best honey in the world? Yeah. Well, it has two differences. First, that like the, the honey produced by Apis mellifera, like the bees we normally know that sting. That honey, like we have a lot of flora. We have a lot of plants biodiversity. And in one acre of trees, you can have even like 200 different type of trees. 
So it's more. Oh, so the density of the floor. It's a multi-flower. Like... Yeah. For example, some people prefer like honey from one plant, but that one plant actually is mono monocultivation, monocultivation. Yeah. And that's actually against biodiversity. So having a lot of biodiversity in the trees and also the trees seen this in, 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 a, in a lot of countries from America, but in Mexico and especially in Peninsula Yucatan is medicinal trees. So the honey, it, it has like more, a better smell and a better flavor and it's more medicinal. And the second difference is with the bees. The other type of honey that is Meliguana honey is made from stingless bees. The stingless bees are bees that do not sting. <laughs> they are native. They they were here before the conquer the conquer of European Spanish. Yeah. And they are adapted to the region, to the trees. Like, you know, the 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 bees that sting flies until five kilometers, but like very low. And the Meliponas flies around one kilometer but up and the trees from the region are more taller than the flora yeah. in the medium range. I gotta say you can yeah. definitely yeah. say we're talking to the professor. I love expert. I love I love bees <laughs> like my whole life changed when I started beekeeping. And for me I don't know, I I I I would like to have more time to to be in nature and part of being in nature was a lot of expertise for me and it was like a life changing and I think that's part of the seed that I put in Earth and Life University. So yeah, because basically it, it, it's you're still involved with uh, nature and biodiversity in a certain sense. So what was the transition from, you know, being a beekeeper to Earth and Life University and what makes Earth and Life University kind of different from a traditional university as you know it. Yeah, well, my co-founder and I have backgrounds with nature. I have background with bees and insects, ants, for example. And my co-founder has experience with algae, sargassum, dolina, glorella. So there's a lot of knowledge in nature. I always said that, do you know how many years Earth has been alive? Well, when do we start counting alive? Like since, <laughs> since the Earth has started, like since, 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 the, since the beginning uh, of Earth. A few billion years, I, I would say, based on, you know, memory of certain documentaries, but I, I, I won't be able to say exact, yeah. but a few billion years. Yeah, like between 3.7 and 4.5 billion years. And do you know how many years has humanity have lived? Yeah, that that's really short. I think it's like a few hundred thousand. Yeah. Not even, I think. Yeah. Depends depends on, on the history you want to tell, but between yeah. one hundred thousand years, if you want to like be optimistic, three hundred, five hundred thousand years, right? So Earth and the species that has a lot of more living time that us as human in the earth has a lot of interesting mechanisms of survival because they, I mean, we're the only planet in this galaxy at least world that has proven life. And it, like, I don't know, for me, it's a miracle to see how, like all the possibilities and all the perfect, all the perfect moments that has to align 
to produce life. And because of that kind of learnings and experiences, my co-founder and I said, okay, we need to, we, and also we had experience in education. I have been teaching like Spanish and uh, literature classes and my co-founder has teach economics history since a lot of time. And we see a lot of deficiencies in education system. There's my co-founder call it like we live in a McDonald's education system when universities give you a happy box with happy books and happy topics. And then you have your happy degree to go to the market and do what everyone wants, tells you what to do, right? And right now we're facing some incredible challenges that are not easy to solve with a happy box. And that's why we said, okay, we need to transform educational system. And we have a teacher that is earth and it's nature. And if we are open to learn, open to unlearn what we have taught, maybe we can give solutions that right now seems like there is no solution, like climate change, the loss of biodiversity, contamination, and these problems are attempting to our own existence as humanity. And we are not aware of it. And I don't know, I, I think in maybe less than 10 years, we will really have to fight for living resources like water, like energy, you know, and that's how started everything so so let's let's take something like a practical example of course you can give us an example but let's say single-use plastic for instance like that's something that it's it's like in the in the happy package like you describe it's like hey plastic is really easy it's easy for packaging it's easy for this it's easy for that but then from a, from a biodiversity perspective it's like Especially single-use plastic, it's like one of the biggest waste there is on, on, on the planet. So what would, from a more, I, I don't want to say traditional, but from a more earth, environmental friend scenario, how would you approach that kind of a problem? Yeah, well, I always said that the, the favorite word, word we have in sustainability issues is depends. You know, in sustainability, we always have to make comparisons to really know if it's available or it has viability or not. You know, we tried also not to say it's right or wrong because we live in a in a moment in our history where everything or you are in my side or you are against me, right? There's no middle points. There's no questioning. And, and we try to bring again to be in the middle, you know, to... To see the different kind of gray tones, colors, and and see another possibility. So, for example, with the plastic of one uh, one use, only only one use. Well, in that moment, it was a great invention and it was a great innovation. Uh, for example, for clothing, there was a lot of exploitation to animals and skin because a lot of products was made from animal skin. Right. So plastic is starting to help those animals to improve more materials to, to make our needs. What happened? We, we do it, we did it in a massive way and we are not aware with those from where that plastic comes from. 
and where does it end? So plastic is a problem. No, the problem is how we are managing plastic and where we are going to dispose that plastic and how we are going to recover that material again to put it in our process. And that's what we try to teach or provoke in our students to see what solutions they can approach depending on their community. Because for example, I'm in a city, I have recycle center where I can take my plastic and go there. But what happens in not urban or rural communities where they don't have that, but they receive a lot of products with, with plastic from one use, right? What other alternatives they can make? So it really, we try to, to develop this creative thinking and this systemic thinking to interconnect all the, all, all, all the people, not only the problems, but also the solutions. Yeah, so it's very context contextualized based on the environment it is in. And in this process, like the, the reason I specifically brought up when we were discussing topic, the, the, the term unlearning, and you just mentioned it as well, like learning in the happy McDonald's way. It's learning is quite, I'd say it's easier to learn than to unlearn because once you know something, once you're used to doing something a certain way, it becomes automated. It becomes to, a, to some extent, even a habit, uh, like the, the plastic use, if you go to a supermarket, for example. And I'd say people underestimate unlearning process, which is sometimes even more vital than learning new things because it's harder to let go. So how would you approach the, the, the way you approach it at, at your university, the, the unlearning process? What, what's it like? How, how should someone think about that? Yeah, the learning process, I think, like you said, is the most difficult part because it is not only difficult with our alumni, with our students, but also with our teachers. You know, the people that are going to teach our, our new community also has to unlearn. And I think unlearn is very related to humility. There's a lot of in educational system where degrees matters. I mean, oh no, no, I'm not master. You call me PhD in whatever I want, right? But the title, they, I mean, sometimes people have a PhD and, and really they don't have not even the, the basic skills to use a Zoom. It's, it's dramatic, right? And, and it's how to deal with the learning, with the humility to say, Hey, we don't know nothing. We are here to learn. And starting with this beginner mind to question everything. And for us, I think the most important part is open the door to curiosity. We think that as we were born, people kill curiosity from us as children, right? We ask why and people say just because. We ask, we want to taste things and they hit us to not to touch or leak things, right? So what we want is people feel, again, the curiosity to, I want to learn more. Like, you know, I'm talking to you and you say some topics that I'm not related. You know, I have Google right now and I can Google it and I can learn something new. But, and it's incredible how we have a lot of access to information and we are not using it to access to knowledge. For me, it's very, like, Chuck it when in a class I ask for something and people don't Google it. Like, 
Why you are telling me you don't know if you are in the computer and you can open a new window and you can Google what I'm saying, right? But no, like, it's like it didn't occur to him that they can Google it. So the learning process is remember that we don't know nothing, that we have to be humble, that we need to start as a beginner mind every day. Like every day wake up and say, I don't know nothing. Let's explore the world. And, and like, turn on that curiosity feeling. Okay. I, I do have a question because in the traditional education system, there are certain validators that are being used. So especially if you get, when you get to the university level, and, and this is also the, the happy package as well. Because there's money involved. You like the happy So one bucks. of the biggest knocks, it's, yeah. So, so one of the things for universities, for instance, especially in Europe is it, it really depends on how many high level articles, scientific articles get written and how many of them get published. And the better the journals they get published in, the more funding the school or that specific department or that specific part of the university earns, which of course, how more profitable that part of the university is, the more say they get in what direction the university goes. It's also made as a validator where PhD students try to do research that's valuable to the professor because then it can be used for publications. And if it were being used for publications, it earns again more money. So this is a real kind of like structural, you can almost call it a pyramid in some kind of ways. And that's also one of the problems with the validation at a certain point, because it's no longer about finding things that are valuable to, to humanity, but it's becoming more like these are the articles that we need to write because these are the topics that are the hot topics in, in the academics and the focus goes on that. So that's my knock on the traditional uh, educational model. But then my question, when you turn it around like this, where you say like, hey, we need to unlearn because basically the structure is failing us. How do you validate the learnings? Because say there's somebody who says something about bees in Mexico, you can easily validate that. Because you own the bees, you actually have worked with bees and you know firsthand from practical experience that if somebody tells you something that's not true, that you can easily validate or unvalidate it. But with newer stuff and things that are completely new and haven't been properly researched from a traditional scientific perspective, how is the validation process for those kind of learning? Well, we're working on it. I have to be honest. I don't think we have the answers yet. We are trying. Like you said, the part of publishing, it's, it's how universities measure their success. But the publishing system also is broken because it takes a lot of time to publish. Then your research is not more new or innovative because it took too long that people sign so they can be blocked. So there, there are like, you know, it's, it's, it's a system. Like I said, th those are ecosystem problems. And 
we, for example, we don't have grades. We don't put an ABC or 10, 9, 8 to our students. We only have two grades or like two, yeah, like two final grades. Like we recommend you or we do not recommend you. Like, like you come to the classes, you participate, you collaborate with your fellows, you show that you are a professional responsible with communication skills, that you are using the concepts we are giving you in the class, that you can demonstrate me what you are doing with your project and your documentation, your photos or whatever the teacher asks to them. We recommend you to go and advance with other classes. And if we, if you didn't come to class, if you didn't participate, if you didn't show your evolution as we call them agents of change or change makers, if, if you don't prove to us that you're a change maker, then we cannot recommend you. And we see you in the next class to try again, right? And it has been difficult because we're still... We, we, we have a lot of resistance from even the students, you know, because if something is not obligatory, they do not feel they have to do it. And it's terrible. Like, you know, like this educational system made us do the things just because someone tells us and punish us. And we believe in the education in a more freedom way. Like, you know, I enter a class because I want to learn and, and I feel happy to learn and I, and I want to do it and I want to participate, but not everyone feels that way. And we're still working on it on how we can create this model where our students feel challenged, not by obligation, but maybe a, a more pushy way or, 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 I don't know, more constrained ways to to, to feel them more, I'm going to do this stuff in my class, you know? And that's how we, we, we validate. We have like a feedback, a feedback sheet where we provide them feedback in different areas from the project, their final project, their participation during the course, and in a more personal way, like their leadership and communication skills, what they did good, what they could improve. And that's kind of how we validate that grows. I don't know what you think. So I, I, I can see where you come from, from getting that resistance because the root cause actually goes deeper to the traditional, like from a, a young, as you said, we've been conditioned in a way that eliminates curiosity. It eliminates critical thinking and, you know, talking back, you know, asking questions and when you're at a later stage in life, when you gain more knowledge, you, you're kind of constrained in that bracket. So my question becomes like, you're approaching it or you're entering, introducing this type of learning at a already uh, higher academic level, whereas the people coming in kind of need to unlearn a lot before they can fully appreciate this model that you're trying to introduce. So it, it's a constant like tension between those two, right? And you also mentioned a lot, you know, there's communication skills, the leadership skills, the, the soft skills that encompass that. Like how much weight do you guys put into that 
especially when you get students from the traditional academic sense who are, as you said, the PhD, they are academically very intelligent, but can't even operate Zoom. Like how much weight do you put on, on those soft skills? And how, how do you ensure that they kind of adapt to, uh, uh, to learn these soft skills? Yeah, well, like, like you said, when we decided to have these issues, I realized, realized that we, have, we should have a start with kids. You know, like, what did we do at university? We have to start with kids to introduce our new ideas and our new models. But we're now in the middle of the journey and that dream is going to, it, it's in the plan of maybe 10 to 20 years, right? But we we put a lot of this on leadership and the profile of a sustainability leader, it's a very complex profile because, and it's, you know, I don't know if in Suriname you have these job opportunities, but here in Mexico, all the big companies, the cooperative has this new role that is the sustainability role. And there are no people that can fit in that role because they need to have technical skills related maybe with engineering, with economics. Some companies put together sustainability and, re and public relationships or marketing. Like, you know, that, there are two different roles and positions, right? But those are like the, the activities they put on. It has to do, it is related with measure carbon footprint, ESG indicators, like really uh, technical stuff. But then as a leadership role, you have to be in communication with all the departments. You have to talk a lot about what are the sustainability projects the company is carrying on. And you need to work with in teams. So all the teams in marketing, in new products, in selling, they are talking about sustainability. And and it really needs a lot of soft skills, right? I don't like to say soft skills, soft skills. I prefer to say human skills. And we what we do is three different activities each month. One is a workshop with our coach and psychologist to develop these skills, leadership, communication, once a month. Then we have another activity that we call Changemaker Circle, where we bring a leader in sustainability to talk about their experience, like the day-to-day -day experience, right? Not only, not the presentation per se of, the, of a project or a topic, but say, look, the reality is this, so, so our fellows can be more in touch of what's going on in the companies in the real today projects. And then we have our third activity that for me is our, like my favorite that is called the Earth Challenge. The Earth Challenge is with this in Harvard, in Harvard, for example, they has these activities when they gather the, the alumni and they put up a problem, right? From like in 2010, the Starbucks wanted to open a new store in Ukraine, you know, but they have this problem. So how do you resolve this problem? And they look and the students present some solutions. And at the end, the teachers, they already have the solution. Well, what Starbucks did was this and this and this, and this were their mistakes, and this was their, their goals, etc. What we do is a real problem. We invite our organizations and companies we are linked to 
and we say, do you want to participate in this Earth Challenge? Please tell us what social environmental issue you have right now and bring it to our students. And we are going to work together with you during two months to present you these different solutions. And I think this is like the, like is a strong activity where, where shells are, or students that it's not always related with knowledge. It's really related to work with team, to communicate, to to present, to work in something, and then that the leader of the organization tells us, oh, no, I didn't want this, right? It was like, what? I worked on this, but that's real life, and that's what happened. And and we need to know how to deal with this because that is right now a reality, and if we want to change it, then we need to be flexible and we need to adapt, and we, we need to be fast in a world that is going really, really fast. So to, because I think one of the things that you also said is that you don't want to be stuck with this is the way and this is how it should be. But for instance, when we talk about sustainability, the first thing that comes up in my mind and also with the bigger organizations is the sustainable development goals. Basically, that's kind of been brought in. It's almost brought in like a Bible as in these are the things that we will need to work on as, a, as, as, as the world. How do you incorporate those existing sustainable development goals that have been published throughout the whole world? How do you bring it in? And from what approach do you kind of get your students to work with them or to see them from different perspectives as well? Yeah, we need to work with them because that's what exists and that's what actually people love. I hate it. Like, I need to be honest. I hate that model of the sustainable development goals because I agree with you. I, yes, like, like, like I don't know how they can talk about it in every meeting and it's like we we're not getting we're not getting I am doing a post for my LinkedIn where I different make a difference between what we think is sustainable development that is this economic, social, environmental and at this center and no like a strong sustainability is in the big sphere is ecology. In the middle is sociology and in the at the end and the smallest part is economy. So when we don't understand what what we we need to understand from where does come from all the problems. And 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 the economic system is still primary in decisions and in sustainable development goals and the United Nations. Like we are still operating in the economic line and 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 it's okay because the capital doesn't want to sacrifice itself to and disappear and i'm not saying we need to disappear capital just remember that the economy only exists where a society can relationship in a healthy way and a society only can live in an environment where we are in in balance right so let's Please remember what are the priorities. And we, but actually I have this fight with even my teachers. I, my teachers sometimes and I had a lot of discussions because this also is related with a colonizing mind, you know, like these models come from United States or Europe, like, oh, Europe is the best. Like, no. <laughs> Like, for example, in sustainability, as Mexico or as Latin Americans, we have a lot of more culture 
to put in the world. But we have this cultured mindset that we are less than, that we need to learn from other big countries. Like these biggest countries, like, for example, Nor Noruega, Nor Norway, Norway or Sweden. Norway, yeah, yeah Norway. Like, did they have built their empire through the extraction of petrol of of oil, and they have not been sustainable for a, for a lot of years, and we need to question that. And Latin America has been the like the the waste garden from a lot of countries, and we are not being aware of that. And I don't know. I think that really only happens when when you open the debate and the discussion with with the community itself, right? And it's like, it's been in the class and it's, you know, have this, I think there are a few students that we are in the room that we are like bringing those topics in and we are like making the discussion happen, right? And it's uncomfortable. Like people, at least in Mexico, I don't know how, how is there, and, but people don't like discuss, like they think you are fighting and no, it's not personal. It's just. Let's, let's question things. Yeah, think about it critically, like here as well, like if you look at the, the, the bigger corporation, the big companies, everything they're trying to do now, they're trying to align, package it with the SDGs as they are presented by, you know, the, the UN. And then the question is, you know, how is that shaped again? And the, the reason I said, I, I agree with you. Because if you look at the history of how the SDGs have been formed and kind of been renamed over decades, like in the 60s, there, there were already models like this, like every 10 years. Because before the SDGs, it was the Millennium Development Goal, 2000-2015. And before that, there were a few more. So as like, you know, superpowers change, the... The label has changed over the years, but it has been packaged to kind of, yeah, maybe to tell a certain narrative to a certain degree, but let's companies especially kind of adopt something that, yes, it's the, the intent might be good, but there's a perception that you create to, towards the, you know, average person who doesn't that's, know anything. That's why I call it a Bible. Yeah. In, 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 in a yeah. similar sense to how Bible is kind of a life book on how to live your life through a way that it's socially or socially constructed. Socially acceptable. Exactly. And socially acceptable. And and from that sense, and, and, and I think fair, I find it very interesting because if we look at it in economic, like you just mentioned, economic is a small part and the ecological is, the environment is much bigger. <clears throat> but sorry, <clears throat> a lot of, a lot of discussions are still surrounding the structures of power and the structures of power are structures around the world economy. And then you have like the economies that matter. And then you have this, this pretty much the center periphery theory where the center is the economic center and the economic center of the world decides how we live the, through the world. And then the rest is the periphery. Which brings to an interesting dynamic and why I'm really interested, Danielle, in your take as well. Like, how does that shift come about that people, because now, especially the generation that's coming up, that's called the Gen Z generation, the generation that's now going into the work field is pretty much 
money-centric. As in, kind of as in a rebelism towards the generations before them where they're just like, okay, just give me the money myself. I'll decide for myself what's best for me and for the world. And through that, we see a lot of conflict arise where people are focused towards the financial benefit and the financial gain and are just saying like, hey, if nobody else in the world is focusing on the real sustainability, the nature part, then why should I sacrifice my own personal finances and wealth for the rest of the world if the rest of the world isn't doing it? So do you feel like there is slowly a tipping point coming where people are starting to get aware like, hey, wait, this is going too far? Or are we still very far away from that tipping point being reached? I don't know. Well, first, with just a comment to Diego, I think, like, I also correlated the the SD, the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDG, with, for example, circular economy. Like, also, it's very mainstream, and every company wants to do circular economy, but um, there are, like, different schools that has developed a more interesting theoretical frameworks to to talk about these industrial symbiosis to not produce waste, etc. I just like I agree with that part of what is mainstream and what companies should do. But I don't want also to fight with companies. I want to help them and say, look, I'm critic I'm critical with you, but I'm also open to tell you what is it, what what path we can take, right? And I think at the end, that's what is valuable. We we can be critics and just cross my arms and do nothing, or be open and willing to 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 help. And with what you said or asked, young look, there is something called active hope. I learned it from Joanna Macy. I I really like that term. And active yeah, it, it's it? a book, and actually they have a free course if you want to take it. It it for me it. It was a really, like a, a, a really great lesson. We are, when you are very bold in this topics, like let me change lots of biodiversity and, and all these huge problems, you get depressed. <laughs> like, like it's, you know, you are seeing um, a, a part of the humanity that is killing itself. But this active hub is that, you know, I realized how bad things are going like how we are how we are depriving ourselves from from nature from our own resources from survival but also i'm open to to say hey we can do this together and and i'm open to put myself out there be vulnerable and said let's let's join and let's see to find solutions you know let's let's try to to make this world a little, a little better and I try to practice this and I try to share with everyone I talk that let's practice active hope. Like we not only are hoping everything gets better, we are acting to this this world gets better. And without denying what's the reality, being aware of that, but choosing to, to stay on the path of, of wellness, of taking care of myself, of 
because also as change makers, we, we want to make the happy better. And we sometimes forget about ourselves. We do not eat well. We do not sleep well. And sustainability is also related with our, with our wellness in a more stick way, not only money. And with this new generation, yes, I see a lot of people that is more focused on money. I, I, I'm sure you as entrepreneurs are very related with these topics, you know, like, oh, you're successful. You, you have to make six figures. Yeah. Usually that's the benchmark of success. Like, yeah. How much? Yeah. And, and I think that the people also needs new reference, new, new leaders who shows it it really is not about your bank account. It's really what you think is wealth, wealthy, rich, richness. You know, for me, being wealthy means have access to nature, to have raw food in my, in my dinner plate. For me, being wealthy means to breathe clean air, to have a space where I can sleep and be covered and to have a good quality of clothes, but I just need three types of clothes and nothing more, right? It's, it's to be comfortable. It's, it's to, to not always wanting more. We are in a world, and it, that's part of the economic crisis. We always want to, to grow more, to have more, to earn more. And there are studies where it shows where happiness it stops in a point that it doesn't matter how much you are growing more or, or how much you are earning more. There's, there's a limit. And, and I think, and that's another part that it, it, we are not still working at in the university, but me as person, I, I'm developing more is eco, eco psychology. That is this correlation between how we are dealing with ourselves and the, the health of our own relationship with ourselves and with the people around us also shows in the health of the earth and our environment. And maybe it's time to, to work in our emotional and our spiritual sense to, to rethink how we are related with the earth. When you mentioned like the, the part where, you know, we, we get so much information now that the, the especially the newer generation, they, they can eat the, the psychological effect on them that they can even get depressed. I've kind of, I, I remember I had a friend, uh, like a few years ago when that documentary came out, Seaspiracy, um, uh, Jean-Luc on Netflix, after he watched that, he, he kind of went into like a, a mood, like a, a very low mood just because he watched that and that psychological relationship, people underestimate that, I think, how it can, what, what effect it can have. And could you elaborate a bit more? You, you mentioned eco-psychology. Can, can you elaborate? A, a bit more on that and how, how people should think about it. Yeah. Well, it's this part, the eco-psychology is like the study of our, our minds or emotions ourselves relates with our ecology. Eco, it comes from Greek oikos, that means home. Ecology, economy, it comes from the same Greek word that is home. Economy is the managing of the resources of home. And ecology is the study of the relationships with, of the home, right? And it's this relation that we have our psyche or mind with our home. And it. So economy isn't about money. If you look exactly, at the exactly. I always, I always said that, like, you know, ecology and economy should not be against each other. It's 
we put it against each other, but it, it's a human defect, not, not. Yeah, it, it took a second for that to sink in when, when you mentioned it, like <laughs> yeah. when you said e economy means the managing of resources at home. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have another defect that is, I love epistemology. I always like to, to look from the root of the word in, in our language, at least in Spanish, is so rich and we are not using language. So I'm also a pro, a pro language person and the psychology is, well, this, how, how, how we are related with our home and with all the living beings that, that is around us, right? And it's a start, we, we were taught that humanity is at the peak, in the top, and then the animals and then the plants. And like, if they are, they are here to serve us. And the ecology tell us that we are in the same sphere. And maybe we should think about how we serve our environment, right? Like how I can serve my soil, how I can serve the plants, the insects, the animals, and and to see that it's not it's not that I'm serving them like it's it's not like oh a dog is more important than you as human. It's like we we all are part of the same home, and their wellness is also going to be my wellness, and and it's really to remember that we all came from the same birth. And we are going to the same earth when we pass away. And how our senses were connected to our environment and with a lot of concrete urban centers, we are disconnected from our sense. And we, we are animals. We are two-feet animals. We had intuition. We had this nature inside of us that, that actually disappears with a lot of technology and, and with a lot of urbanization and and maybe it's like to restart to unlearn and 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 return to our own nature. That's that's what explores ecopsychology. I'm I'm sorry if this is too high. <laughs> oh, it's really it's really good. It's a really refreshing take as well. And I think also something that you mentioned, and this is what Diego and I get confronted with a lot, is especially the Spanish language. And I see it through social media, how big of an impact the Spanish culture is, because I'm seeing it to simple things like how big certain Spanish artists that I used to listen to in the nineties are on YouTube, for instance, because it resonates with such a big part of the world that speaks Spanish, but before social media, before YouTube, we weren't aware how many people in the world speak Spanish and how many different countries. Of course, there's a difference in dialect and different the way they are spoken, but how many people in the world actually speak Spanish? And you can see it with some artists, for instance, American artists that started all their careers singing English and have now moved back singing in their native language because they realized like, wait, there are actually more people listening to my music if I sing in Spanish than in English. And that brings again that we look at English very much from an, either an Oxford English, the, the UK English, or the American English. But when it becomes, when you get to Spanish, it gets even more complicated because there are so many different 
dialects, but then again, you start realizing how big, especially within Latin America, how big the Spanish language is and how much knowledge there is in the language, which if you're not a native speaker, you don't realize these hidden meanings and hidden information which can be found in those words. So I think that was that was really interesting as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, Jean-Luc and I aren't fluent in Spanish at all, but it is, I do no, believe it is, if you were to pick up a second language, Spanish should be at the priority, I think, if you want to communicate a, a broader spectrum yeah. of cultures and people and, you know, pick that. But with that being said, Daniela, Daniela, it's almost time to wrap up. So to close this up, can you tell us what you're busy now with Earth and Life University and where people can learn more about you and what you're doing? Oh, I think that topic was very interesting. Like from a Spanish, I also have a lot to say, right? Like just one more comment. A lot, of, like I think Spanish is a second native language more spoken in the world. But as Spanish speakers, people tell us that we need to speak English so we can be recognized and to and to make business and that English is the language of the business and everything else. The, the, the magazines that publish scientific information, they, they ask to do it in English, right? So also it's like question, why can we publish in Spanish? Like, why can we not create more knowledge in Spanish? So, so what, why can we oblige people from the United States or the UK speak Spanish, right? But just a thought. So my, you can find me on LinkedIn, Daniela Hernandez Alvarez. I publish a Spanish story. <laughs> But but now you can. Oh, but, but yeah, they have no a need to be sorry. Yeah, yeah, you, yes. you can get you no can worries. translate it on, on Google. It's yeah. very easy, and I, that I publish a little bit more. I have an Instagram account, but I'm not very active. That is called influencer, like making this resonance like the Earth should be our influence, um, and and trying to criticize criticize at least like the influencer culture. And as organization, Earth and Life University, you can find us at earthuniversity.edu.mx. Thank you. And our social media is Earth Life University. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. We have a lot of classes in Spanish in our YouTube channel. So you are welcome to, to learn with us in, in our YouTube channel. Awesome. We'll try to put all those links you shared with us in the description when this episode gets released as well. So do check those out. Sean, look, any final thoughts? Well, Diego, as always, it's been a pleasure. Daniela, thank you for being our guest. For everybody that tuned in live and for those that are listening to this on their stream on the streaming platforms, thank you for tuning in. This was Social Convos. See you back next time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.